0: Pod Bless Robert Mueller, a translation for Texans. Report on the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Article 5 of Volume 1. Brought to you by the hosts of Pod Bless Texas, Kendall Scudder and Lillian Salerno. Article 5 Prosecution and Declination Decisions. The appointment order authorized the Special Counsel's Office to prosecute federal crimes arising from its investigation of the matters assigned to it. In deciding whether to exercise this prosecutorial authority, the office has been guided by the principles of federal prosecution set forth in the Justice, formerly U.S. Attorney's Manual. In particular, the office has evaluated whether the conduct of the individuals considered for prosecution constituted a federal offense and whether admissible evidence would probably be sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction for such an offense. Where the answer to those questions was yes... The office further considered whether the prosecution would serve a substantial federal interest. The individuals were subject to effective prosecution in another jurisdiction, and there existed an adequate non-criminal alternative to prosecution. As explained below, these considerations led the office to seek charges against two sets of Russian nationals for their roles in perpetrating the active measure social media campaign and computer intrusion operations. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. The office similarly determined that the contacts between campaign officials and Russian-linked individuals either did not involve the commission of a federal crime or, in the case of campaign finance offenses, that our evidence was not sufficient to obtain and sustain a criminal conviction. At the time, the office concluded that the the principles of federal prosecution supported charging certain individuals connected to the campaign with making false statements or otherwise obstructing the investigation or parallel congressional investigations. A. Russian Active Measures Social Media Campaign On February 16, 2018, a federal grand jury in the District of Columbia returned an indictment charging 13 Russian nationals and three Russian entities, including the Internet Research Agency, IRA, and Concord Management and Consulting, LLC, Concord, with violating U.S. criminal laws in order to interfere with U.S. elections and political processes. The indictment charges all of the defendants with conspiracy to defraud the United States, count one, three defendants with conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud, count two, and five defendants with aggravated identity theft, counts three through eight. Concord, which is one of the entities charged with count one conspiracy, entered an an appearance through U.S. counsel and moved to dismiss the charge on multiple grounds. In order and memorandum opinions issued on, April, on August 13th and November 15th, 2018, the District Court denied Concord's motions to dismiss. As of this writing, the prosecution of Concord remains ongoing before the U.S. District Court uh, for the District of Columbia. The other defendants remain at large. Although members of the IRA had contact with individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign, the indictment does not charge any Trump campaign official or any other U.S. person with participating in the conspiracy. That's because the investigation did not identify evidence that any U.S. person who coordinated or communicated with the IRA knew that he or she was speaking with Russian nationals engaged in the criminal conspiracy. The office therefore determined that such persons did not have the knowledge or criminal purpose required to charge them in the conspiracy to defraud the United States, count one, or in the separate count alleging a wire and bank fraud conspiracy involving the IRA and two individual Russian nationals, count two. The office did, however, charge one U.S. national for his role in supplying false or stolen bank account numbers that allowed the IRA conspirators to access U.S. online payment systems by circumventing those systems' security features. On February 12, 2018, Richard Pinedo pleaded guilty pursuant to a single-count information to identity fraud in violation of 18 U.S.C., Section 1028A7 and B1D. The investigation did not establish that Pinedo was aware of the identity of the IRA members who purchased bank account numbers from him. Pinedo's sales of the account numbers enabled the IRA members to anonymously access a financial network through which they transacted with U.S. persons and companies. On October 10, 2018, Pinedo was sentenced to six months of imprisonment to be followed by six months of home confinement and was ordered to complete 100 hours of community service. B. Russian hacking and dumping operations. 1. Section 1030 Computer Intrusion Conspiracy. A. Background. On July 13, 2018, the federal grand jury in the District of Columbia returned an indictment charging Russian military intelligence officers at the GRU with conspiring to hack into various U.S. computers used by the Clinton campaign, DNC, DCCC, and other U.S. persons in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 1030 and 371. Count one. Committing identity theft and conspiring to commit money laundering and furtherance of that hacking conspiracy in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 1028A and 1956H, counts 2 through 10, and a separate conspiracy to hack into the computers of U.S. persons and entities responsible for the administration of the 2016 U.S. election in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 1030 and 371, count 11. As of this writing, all 12 defendants remain at large. The Net Yishko indictment alleges that the defendants conspired with one another and with others to hack into the computers of U.S. persons and entities involved in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, steal documents from those computers, and stage releases of the stolen documents to interfere in the election. Natishko Indictment 2 The indictment also describes how, in staging the releases, the defendants used the Guccifer 2.0 persona to disseminate documents through WikiLeaks. On July 22, 2016, WikiLeaks released over 20,000 emails and other documents that the hacking conspirators had stolen from the DNC. Nedish code indictment 48. In addition, on October 7, 2016, WikiLeaks began releasing emails that some conspirators had stolen from Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta after a successful spearfishing operation. Redacted harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Grand jury. (gasps) Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. B. Charge and decision as to... (gasps) Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. (gasps) Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. Oh, redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. A lot of these coming up, guys. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. One, two, three. Three redactions, harm to an ongoing matter. Number two, potential section 1030 violation by. Redacted, point of personal privacy. Redacted, personal privacy. Redacted, personal privacy. In addition, the computer, redacted, personal privacy, likely qualifies as a protected one under the statute, which reaches effectively all computers with internet access. Redacted, personal privacy. Applying the principles of federal prosecution, however, the office determined that the prosecution of this potential violation was not warranted. Those principles instruct prosecutors to consider, among other things, the nature and seriousness of the offense, the person's culpability in connection with the offense, and the probable sentence to be imposed if the prosecution is successful. Redacted, personal privacy. Redacted. Personal privacy. C. Russian government outreach and contacts. As explained in Section 4 above, the office's investigation uncovered evidence of numerous links, contacts, between Trump campaign officials and individuals having or claiming to have ties to the Russian government. The office evaluated the contacts under several sets of federal laws, including conspiracy laws and statutes governing foreign agents who operate in the United States. That, considering the available evidence, the office did not pursue charges under these statutes against any of the individuals discussed in Section 4 above, with the exception of FARA charges against Paul Manafort and Richard Gates based on their activities on behalf of the Ukraine. One of the interactions between the Trump campaign and Russian-affiliated individuals, the June 9, 2016 meeting between high-ranking campaign officials and Russians promising derogatory information on Hillary Clinton implicates an additional body of law, campaign finance statutes. Schemes involving the solicitation or receipt of assistance from foreign sources raise difficult statutory and constitutional questions. As explained below, the office evaluated those questions in connections with the June 9 meeting. Redaction, harm to an ongoing matter. The office ultimately concluded that even if the principal legal questions were resolved favorably to the government, the prosecution would encounter difficulties proving that campaign officials or individuals connected to the campaign willfully violated the law. Finally, although the evidence of contacts between campaign officials and Russia-affiliated individuals may not have been sufficient to establish or sustain criminal charges, several U.S. persons connected to the campaign made false statements about those contacts and took other steps to obstruct the office's investigation and those of Congress. This office has therefore charged some of those individuals with making false statements and obstruction of justice. 1. Potential Coordination, Conspiracy, and Collusion As an initial matter, this office evaluated potentially criminal conduct that involved the collection action of multiple individuals not under the rubric of collusion, but through the lens of conspiracy law. In doing so, the office recognized that the word collude appeared in the Acting Attorney General's August 2, 2017 memorandum. It has frequently been invoked in public reporting, and it is sometimes referenced in antitrust law. See below. But collusion is not a specific offense or theory of liability found in U.S. code, nor is it a term of art in federal criminal law. To the contrary, even as defined in legal dictionaries, collusion is largely synonymous with conspiracy conspiracy, as that crime is set forth in the General Federal Conspiracy Statute. For that reason, this office's focus in resolving the question of joint criminal liability was on conspiracy as defined in federal law, not the commonly discussed term collusion. The office considered in particular whether contacts between the Trump campaign officials and Russia-linked individuals could trigger liability for the crime of conspiracy, either under statutes that have their own conspiracy language or under the general conspiracy statute. The investigation did not establish that the contacts described in Volume 1, Section 4 amounted to an agreement to commit any substantive violation of federal criminal law, including foreign influence and campaign finance laws, both of which are discussed further below. The office, therefore, did not charge any individual associated with the Trump campaign with conspiracy to commit federal offense arising from Russia contacts, either under the specific statute or under Section 371's Offenses Clause. The office also did not charge any campaign official or associate with a conspiracy under Section 371's defraud clause. That clause criminalizes participating in an agreement to obstruct a lawful function of the U.S. government or its agencies through deceitful or dishonest means. The investigation did not establish any agreement among campaign officials or between such officials and Russia-linked individuals to interfere with or obstruct a lawful function of the government agency during the campaign or transition period. And, as discussed in Volume 1, Section 5, A. The investigation did not identify evidence that any campaign official or associate knowingly and intentionally participated in the conspiracy to defraud that the office charged, namely, the active measures conspiracy described in Volume 1, Section 2. Accordingly, the offices did not charge any campaign associate or other U.S. persons with a conspiracy to defraud the United States based on the Russia-related contacts described in Section 4 above. 2. Potential Coordination, Foreign Agent Statutes. The office next assessed the potential liability of campaign-affiliated individuals under federal statutes regulating actions on behalf of or work done for a a foreign government. A. Governing Law Under 18 U.S.C. Section 951, it is generally illegal to act in the United States as an agent of a foreign government without providing notice to the Attorney General. Although the defendant must act on behalf of a foreign government as opposed to other kinds of foreign entities, the acts need not involve espionage. Rather, acts of any type suffice for liability. An agent of a foreign government is an individual who agrees to operate in the United States subject to the direction or control of a foreign government or official. The crime defined by Section 951 is complete upon knowingly acting in the United States as an unregistered foreign government agent. The statute does not require willfulness and knowledge of the notification requirement is not an element of the offense. The Foreign Agents Registration Act, FARA, generally makes it illegal to act as an agent of a foreign principal by engaging in certain, largely political activities in the United States without registering with the Attorney General. The trigger and agency relationship must be with a foreign principal or a person, any of whose activities are directly or indirectly supervised, directed, controlled, financed, or subsidized in whole or in major part by a foreign principal. That includes a foreign government or political party and various foreign individuals and entities. A covered relationship exists if a person acts as an agent, representative, employee or servant or in any other capacity at the order, request and or un- under the foreign principal's direction or control. It is sufficient if the person agrees, consents, assumes or purports to act as or who is or holds himself out to be whether or not pursuant to a contractual relationship an agent of a foreign principal. That was a mouthful. The triggering activity is that the agent directly or through any other person in the United States, one, engage is, engages in political activities for or in the interests of the foreign principal, which includes attempts to influence federal officials or the public, two, acts as public relations counsel, publicity agent, information service employee, or political consultant for or in the interests of such foreign principal. 3. Solicits, collects, disburses, or dispenses contributions, loans, money, or other things of value for or in the interest of such foreign principal, or 4. Represents the interests of such foreign principal before any federal agency or official. It is a crime to engage in a willful violation of any provision of the Act or any regulation thereunder. It is also a crime to willfully make false statements or omissions of material facts in FARA registration statements or supplements. Most violations have a maximum penalty of five years imprisonment and $10,000 fine. B. Application The investigation uncovered extensive evidence that Paul Manafort and Richard Gates pre-campaign work for the government of Ukraine violated FARA. Manafort and Gates... Uh, were charged for that conduct and admitted to it when they pleaded guilty for superseding criminal informations in the District of Columbia prosecution. The evidence underlying those charges is not addressed in this report because it was discussed in public court documents and a separate prosecution memorandum submitted to the acting attorney general before the original indictment in that case. In addition, the investigation produced evidence of FARA violations involving Michael Flynn. Those potential violations, however, concerned a country other than Russia, Turkey, and were resolved when Flynn admitted to the underlying facts in the statement of offense that that accompanied his guilty plea to a false statements charge. The investigation did not, however, yield evidence sufficient to sustain any charge that any individual affiliated with the Trump campaign acted as an agent of a foreign principle with the meaning of FARA or in terms of Section 951 subject to the direction or control of the government of Russia or any official thereof. In particular, The office did not find evidence likely to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the campaign officials such as Paul Manafort, George Papadopoulos, and Carter Page acted as agents of the Russian government or at its direction, control, or request during the relevant time period. Redacted personal privacy. As a result, the office did not charge. Redacted personal privacy any other Trump campaign official with violating FARA or Section 951 or attempting to conspire or to do so based on contacts with the Russian government or Russian principle. Finally, the, uh, the office investigated whether one of the above campaign advisors, George Papadopoulos, acted as an agent of or at the, discre- at the direction and control of the government of Israel. While the investigation revealed significant ties between Papadopoulos and Israel, and search warrants were obtained in part on that basis, the office ultimately determined that the evidence was not sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction under FARA or Section 951. 3. Campaign Finance Several areas of the office's investigation involved efforts or offers by foreign nationals to provide negative information about candidate Clinton to the Trump campaign or to distribute that information to the public to the anticipated benefit of the campaign. As explained below, the office considered whether two of those efforts in particular, the June 9, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower, redacted harm to an ongoing matter constituted prosecutable violations of the campaign finance laws. The office determined that the evidence was not sufficient to charge either incident as a criminal violation. A. Overview of Governing Law The United States has a compelling interest in limiting the participation of foreign citizens in activities of democratic self-government and in thereby preventing foreign influence over the U.S. political process. To that end, Federal campaign finance law broadly prohibits foreign nationals from making contributions, donations, expenditures, or other disbursements in connection with federal, state, local, or can, federal, state, or local candidate elections and prohibits anyone from soliciting, accepting, or receiving such contributions or donations. As relevant here, foreign nationals may not make and in no way solicit, accept, or receive from them a contribution or donation of money, or other thing of value, or an express or implied promise to make a contribution or donation in connection with a federal, state, or local election. The term contribution, which is used throughout the campaign finance law, includes any gift, subscription, loan, advance, or deposit of money or anything of value made by any person for the purpose of influencing any election for federal office. It excludes, among other things, the value of volunteer services. Foreign nationals are also barred for making an expenditure, independent expenditure, or disbursement for an electioneering communication. The term expenditure includes any purchase, payment, distribution, loan, advance, deposit, or gift of money or anything of value made by any person for the purpose of influencing any election for federal office. It excludes, among other things, news stories and nonpartisan get-out-the-vote activities. An independent expenditure is an expenditure expressly advocating the election or defeat of a clearly identified candidate and made independently from the campaign. An electioneering communication is the broadcast communication that refers to a clearly identified candidate for federal office and is made within specific, specified time periods and targeted at a relevant electorate. The statute defines foreign national by reference to FARA and the Immigration of Nationality Act with minor modification. That definition yields five, sometimes overlapping categories of foreign nationals, which include all the individuals and entities relevant for present purposes, namely foreign governments and political parties, individuals outside the U.S. who are not legal permanent residents, and certain non-U.S. entities located outside the U.S. A knowing and willful violation involving an aggregate of $25,000 or more in a calendar year is a felony. A knowing and willful violation involving an aggregate of $2,000 or more in a calendar year, but less than $25,000, is a misdemeanor. B. Application to June 9th Trump Tower Meeting The office considered whether to charge Trump campaign officials with crimes in connection with the June 9th meeting described in Volume 1, Section 4A5. The office concluded that, in light of the government's substantial burden of proof on issues of intent, knowing and willful, and the difficulty of establishing the value of the offered information, criminal charges would not meet the justice manual standard that the admissible evidence will probably be sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction. In brief, the key facts are that on June 3rd, 2016, Robert Goldstone emailed Donald Trump Jr. to pass along from Amin and R.S. Agalarov an offer from Russia's crown prosecutor to the Trump campaign of official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to Trump Jr.'s father. The email described this as a very high level and sensitive information that is part of Russia and its government's support to Mr. Trump helped along by the RS by RS and Amin. Trump Jr. Responded. If it's what you say, I love it. Especially later in the summer. Trump Jr. And Amin Agalarov had follow up conversations and within days schedule a meeting with Russian representatives that was attended by Trump Jr. Manafort and Kushner. The communications setting up the meeting and the attendance by high-level campaign representatives support an interference that the campaign anticipated receiving derogatory documents and information from official Russian sources that could assist candidate Trump's electoral prospects. These series of events could implicate the federal election law ban on contributions and donations by foreign nationals. Specifically, Goldstone passed along an offer purportedly from a Russian government official to provide official documents and information to the Trump campaign for the purposes of influencing the presidential election. Trump Jr. appears to have accepted that offer and to have arranged a meeting to receive those materials. Documentary evidence in the form of email chains supports the interference that Kushner and Manafort were aware of that purpose and attended the June 9th meeting anticipating the report of helpful information to the campaign from Russian sources. The office considered whether this evidence would establish a conspiracy to violate the foreign contributions ban in violation of 18 U.S.C. section 371, the solicitation of an illegal foreign source contributions, or the acceptance or receipt of an express or implied promise to make a foreign source contribution, both in violation of 52 U.S.C. section 30121A1A2. There are reasonable arguments that the offered information would constitute a thing of value within the meaning of these provisions, but the office determined that the government would not be likely to obtain and sustain a conviction for two other reasons. First, the office did not obtain admissible evidence likely to meet the government's burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the individuals acted willfully i.e., with general knowledge of the illegality of their conduct, and second, the government would likely encounter difficulty in proving beyond a reasonable doubt that the value of the promised information exceeded the threshold for a criminal violation. 1. Thing of Value Element A threshold legal question is whether providing a campaign documents and information of the type involved here would constitute a prohibited campaign contribution. The foreign contribution ban is not limited to contributions of money. It expressly prohibits a contribution of donation of money or other things of value. And the term contribution is defined throughout the campaign finance laws to include any gift, subscription, load, advance, or deposit of money or anything of value. The phrases thing of value and anything of value are broad and inclusive enough to encompass at least some forms of the valuable information throughout the U.S. state United States Code, these phrases serve as terms of art that are construed broadly. For example, the term thing of value encompasses law enforcement reports that classified materials, confidential information about a collective bid, secret grand jury information, and information about a witness's whereabouts, in the public's corruption context, thing of value is defined broadly to include the value which the defendant subjectively attaches to the items received. Federal Election Commission (FEC) regulations recognize the value to a campaign of at least some forms of information, stating that the term "anything of value" includes the provision of any goods or services without charge, such as membership lists and mailing lists. The FEC has concluded that the phrase includes a state-by-state list of activists. Likewise, polling data provided to a campaign constitutes a contribution. And in the specific context of the foreign contributions ban, the FEC has concluded that election materials used in previous Canadian campaigns, including flyers, advertisements, door hangers, trifolds, signs, and other printed material constitute anything of value, even though the value of these materials may be nominal or difficult to ascertain. These authorities would support the view that candidate-related opposition research given to a campaign for the purpose of influencing an election could constitute a contribution to which a foreign source ban could apply. A campaign can be assisted not only by the provision provision of funds, but also by the provision of derogatory information about an opponent. Political campaigns frequently conduct and pay for opposition research. A foreign entity that engaged in such research and provided resulting information to a campaign could exert a greater effect on the election and a greater tendency to um, ingratiate the donor to a candidate than a gift of money or tangible things of value. At the same time, no judicial decision has treated the voluntary provision of uncompensated opposition research or similar information as a thing of value that could amount to a contribution under campaign finance law such an interpretation could have implications beyond the foreign source ban, imposing monetary limits on campaign contributions and raise first amendment questions. These those questions could be especially difficult where the information consisted simply of the recounting of historically accurate facts. It is uncertain how courts would resolve those issues. Number 2, willfulness. Even assuming that the promised documents and information that would incriminate Hillary constitute a thing of value under the campaign finance law, the government would encounter other challenges in seeking to obtain and sustain a conviction. Most significantly, the government has not obtained admissible evidence that is likely to establish the Scientur agreement beyond a reasonable doubt. To prove that the, de- that the defendant acted knowingly and willfully, the government would have to show that the defendant had general knowledge that his conduct was unlawful. This standard creates an elevated scienter element requiring, at the very least, that application of the law to the facts in question be very clear. When there is substantial doubt concerning whether the law applies to the facts of particular matter, the offender is more likely to have an intent defense. On the facts here, the government would unlikely be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the June 9th meeting participants had general knowledge that their conduct was unlawful. The investigation had not been developed evidence that the participants in the meeting were familiar with the foreign contribution ban or the application of federal law to the relevant factual context. The government does not have a strong evidence of super serratipitous behavior or effects at concealment at the time of the June 9th meeting. While the government has evidence of later efforts to prevent disclosure of the nature of the June 9th meeting that could circumstantially provide support for a showing of scienter, That concealment occurred more than a year later, involved individuals who did not attend the June 9th meeting, and may reflect an intention to avoid political consequences rather than any prior knowledge of illegality. Additionally, in light of the unresolved legal questions about whether giving documents and information of the sort offered here constitutes a campaign contribution, Trump Jr. could mount a factual defense that he did not believe his response to the offer, and the June 9th meeting itself violated the law. Given his less direct involvement in arranging the June 9th meeting, Kushner could likely mount a similar defense, and while Manafort is experienced with political campaigns, the office has not developed evidence showing that he had relevant knowledge of these legal issues. 3. Difficulties in Valuing Promised Information The office would also encounter difficulty proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the value of the promised documents and information exceeds the $2,000 threshold for a criminal violation as well as $25,000 threshold for a felony punishment. The type of evidence commonly used to establish the value of non-monetary contributions, such as pricing the contribution on a commercial market or determining the upstream acquisition cost or the cost of distribution, would likely be unavailable or ineffective in the factual setting. Although damaging opposition research is surely valuable to a campaign, it appears that the information ultimately delivered in the meeting was not available. And while value in a conspiracy may well be measured by what the participants expected to receive at the time of the agreement, Goldstone's description of the offered material here was quite general. His suggestion of the information's value, that it would incriminate Hillary and would be very useful to Trump Jr.'s father, was nonspecific and may have been understood as being of uncertain worth or reliability given Goldstone's lack of direct access to the original source the uncertainty over what would be delivered could be reflected in trump junior's response if you say if it is what you say i love it emphasis added Accordingly, taking into account the high burden to establish a culpable mental state in a campaign finance prosecution and the difficulty in establishing the required valuation, the office decided not to pursue criminal campaign finance charges against Trump Jr. or other campaign officials for the events culminating on the June 9th meeting. C. Application to (laughs) Redacted Harm to an Ongoing Matter Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. One. Questions over whether. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. 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 matter. Two. Willfulness. As discussed, to establish a criminal campaign finance violation, the government must prove that the defendant acted knowingly and willfully. That standard requires proof that the defendant knew generally that his conduct was unlawful. Given the uncertainties noted above, the willfulness requirement would pose a substantial barrier to prosecution. 3. Constitutional considerations. Finally, the First Amendment could pose constraints on a prosecution. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. 4. Analysis as to. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. 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 4. False statements and obstruction of the investigation. The office determined that certain individuals associated with the campaign lied to investigators about campaign contacts with Russia and have taken other actions to interfere with the investigation. As explained below, the office therefore charged some U.S. persons connected to the campaign with false statements and obstruction offenses. A. Overview of Governing Law False Statements The principal federal statute criminalizing false statements to government investigators is 18 U.S.C. section 1001. As relevant here, under Section 1001A2, it is a crime to knowingly and willfully make any materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement or representation in any matter with the jurisdiction of the executive branch of the government. The FBI investigation is a matter within the executive branch's jurisdiction. The statute also applies to a subset of legislative branch actions— administrative matters, investigations, or reviews conducted by a congressional committee or subcommittee. Whether the statement was made to law enforcement or congressional investigators, the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt the same basic non-jurisdictional elements. The statement was false, fictitious, or fraudulent. The defendant knew that both that it was false and that it was unlawful to make a false statement, and that a false statement was material. In the D.C. Circuit, the government must prove that the statement was actually false. A statement that is misleading, but literally true, does not satisfy section 1001A2. For that false statement to qualify as material, it must have natural tendency to influence or be capable of influencing a discrete decision or any other function of the agency to which it is addressed. Perjury Under the federal perjury statutes, it's a crime for a witness testifying under oath before a grand jury to knowingly make a false material declaration. The government must prove four elements beyond a reasonable doubt to attain a conviction under Section 1623A. The defendant testified under oath before a federal grand jury. The defendant's testimony was false in one or more respects. The false testimony concerned matters that were material to the grand jury investigation. And the false testimony was knowingly given. The General Perjury Statute, 18 U.S.C. Section 1621, also applies to a grand jury testimony and has similar elements, except that it requires that the witness have acted willfully and that the government satisfy strict common law requirements for establishing falsity. Obstruction of Justice Three basic elements are common to the obstruction statutes pertinent to this office's charging decisions. An obstructive act some form of nexus between the obstructive act and the official proceeding, and criminal corrupt intent. A detailed discussion of those elements and the law, governing and obstruction of justice more generally is included in Volume 2 of this report. B. Application to Certain Individuals 1. George Papadopoulos Investigators approached Papadopoulos for an interview based on his role as a foreign policy advisor in the Trump campaign and his suggestion to a foreign government representative that Russia had indicated that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information damaging to candidate Clinton. On January 27, 2017, Papadopoulos agreed to be interviewed by FBI agents, who informed him that the interview was part of the investigation into the potential Russian government interference in the 2016 presidential election. During the interview, Papadopoulos lied about the timing, extent, and nature of his communications with Joseph Misfood, Olga Poloniskaya, Poloniskaya, and Ivan Timofeev. With respect to Timon, Papadopoulos acknowledged that he had met with Misfit and that Misfit told him that the Russians had dirt on Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. But Papadopoulos stated multiple times that those communications occurred before he joined the Trump communication and that it was a very strange coincidence to be told that the dirt before he started working for the campaign. This account was false. Papadopoulos met with Misfit for the t- first time on approximately March 14, 2016, after Papadopoulos had already learned that he'd be the foreign policy advisor for the campaign. Misfit showed interest in Papadopoulos only after learning of his role on the campaign. And Misfit told Papadopoulos about the Russians possessing dirt on a candidate Clinton after, er, in late April 2016, more than a month after Papadopoulos had joined the campaign and been publicly announced by the candidate Trump. Papadopoulos almost made, also made false statements in an effort to minimize the extent of the importance of his communications with Misfit. For example, Papadopoulos stated that Misfit's, no, that Misfit's a nothing, and that he thought Misfit was just a guy talking up connections or something, and that he believed Misfit was BSing to completely be honest with you. In fact, however, Papadopoulos understood Misfit to have substantial connections to high-level Russian government officials and that Misfit spoke with some of of those officials in Moscow before telling Papadopoulos about the dirt. Papadopoulos also engaged in extensive communications over the period of months with Misfit about foreign policy issues for the campaign, including efforts to arrange a history-making meeting between the campaign and Russian government officials. In addition, Papadopoulos failed to inform the investigators that Misfit had introduced him to Timofeev, the Russian national who Papadopoulos understood to be connected to the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, despite being asked if he had met with Russian nationals or anyone with the Russian accent during the campaign. Papadopoulos also falsely claimed that he met with Polanskaya before he joined the campaign and falsely told the FBI that he had no relationship with her at all. He stated that the extent of their communications was her sending emails, just hi, how are you? That's it. In truth, however, Papadopoulos met Sky in March 24, 2016, after he had joined the campaign. He believed that she had connections to high-level Russian government officials and could help him arrange a potential foreign policy trip to Russia. During the campaign, he emailed and spoke with her over Skype on numerous occasions about the potential foreign policy trip to Russia. Papadopoulos' false statements in January 2017 impeded the FBI's investigation into the Russia interference in the 2016 presidential election. Most immediately, those statements hindered investigators' ability to effectively question Misfit when he was interviewed in the lobby of a Washington, D.C. hotel of February 10, 2017. During that interview, Misfit admitted to knowing Papadopoulos and to having introduced him to and Timofeev. But Misfit denied that he had advanced knowledge that Russia was in possession of emails damaging to candidate Clinton, stating that he and Papadopoulos had discussed cybersecurity and hacking as a larger issue, and that Papadopoulos must have misunderstood their conversation. Misfit also falsely stated that he had not seen Papadopoulos since their meeting, at which Misfit introduced him to Paulinskaya, even though emails, text messages, and other information show that Misfit met with Papadopoulos on at least two other occasions, April 12th and April 26th, 2016. In addition, Misfit admitted that he had drafted or edited the follow-up in the language of that email chain, baby, thank you, Misfit may have been involved in a personal relationship with Paulinskaya at the time. The false information and omissions in Papadopoulos' January 2017 interview undermined investigators' ability to challenge Misfit when he made these inaccurate statements. Given the seriousness of the lies and omissions in their effect on the FBI investigation, the office charged Papadopoulos with making false statements to the FBI in violation of 18 U.S.C. section 1001. Papadopoulos pleaded guilty on October 7, 2017 to that charge pursuant to a plea agreement. On September 7, 2018, He was sentenced to 17 days of imprisonment and a $9,500 fine and 200 hours of community service. Number two, redacted personal privacy, redacted grand jury, redacted grand jury. Number three, Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn agreed to be interviewed by the FBI on January 24, 2017, four days after he had officially assumed his duties as national security advisor to the president. During the interview, Flynn made several false statements pertaining to his communications with the Russian ambassador. First, Flynn made two false statements about his conversations with the Russian ambassador Kislyak in late December 2016, at a time when the United States had imposed sanctions on Russia for interfering with the 2016 presidential election, and Russia was considering its response. See Flynn's statement of offense. Flynn told the agents that he did not ask Kislyak to refrain from escalating the situation in response to the United States' imposition of sanctions. That statement was false. On December 29, 2016, Flynn called Kislyak to request Russian restraint. Flynn made the call immediately after speaking to a senior transition team official, K.T. McFarlane, about what to communicate to Kislyak. Flynn then spoke to McFarlane again after the Kislyak call to report on the substance of that conversation. Flynn also falsely reported to the FBI that he did not remember a follow-up conversation in which Kislyak stated that Russia had chosen to moderate its response to the U.S. sanctions as a result of Flynn's request. On December 31, 2016, Flynn, in fact, had such a conversation with Kislyak, and he spoke with McFarlane within hours of the call to relay the substance of his conversation with Kislyak. Second, Flynn made false statements about the calls he had previously made to representatives of Russia and other countries regarding the resolution submitted by Egypt to the United Nations Security Council on December 21, 2016. Specifically, Flynn stated that he only asked the country's positions on how they would vote on the resolution and that he did not request that any of the countries take any particular action on the resolution. That statement was false. On December 22nd, 2016, Flynn called Kislyak, informed him of the incoming Trump administration's opposition to the resolution and requested that Russia's vote against the delay, the resolution Flynn also st- falsely stated that Kislyak never described Russia's response to his December 22nd request regarding the resolution Kislyak, in fact, told Flynn in conversation on December 23rd, 2016, that Russia would not vote against the resolution if it came to a vote. Flynn made these false statements to the FBI at a time when he was serving as national security advisor. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And when the FBI had an open investigation into the inter- Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election, including the nature of any links between the Trump campaign and Russia. Flynn's false statements and omissions impeded the other and otherwise had a material impact on that ongoing investigation. They also came shortly before Flynn made separate submissions to the Department of Justice pursuant to FARA that also contained materially false statements and omissions. Based on the totality of that conduct, the office decided to charge Flynn with making false statements to the FBI in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 1001A. On December 1, 2017, and pursuant to a plea agreement... Flynn pleaded guilty to that charge and also admitted his false statements to the department of his FAR filing. 4. Michael Cohen Michael Cohen was the executive vice president and special counsel to the Trump Organization when Trump was president of the Trump Organization. From fall of 2015 through approximately June 2016, Cohen was involved in a project to build a Trump-branded tower in adjoining development in Moscow. The project was known as Trump Tower Moscow. In 2017, Cohen was called to testify before a House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, HPSCI, and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, SSCI. Both of which were investigating Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and possible links between the Russia and the presidential campaigns. In late August 2017, in advance of his testimony, Cohen caused a two-page statement to be sent to SSCI and HPSCI addressing Trump Tower, Moscow. The letter contained three representations relevant here. First, Cohen stated that the Trump Moscow project had ended in January 2016 and that he had briefed candidate Trump on the project only three times before making the unilateral decision to terminate it. Second, Cohen represented that he never agreed to travel to Russia in connection to the project and never considered asking Trump to travel for the project. Third, Cohen stated that he did not recall any Russian government contact about the project, including any response to an email that he had sent to a Russian government email account. Cohen later asked that his two-page statement be incorporated into his testimony transcript before SSCI, and he ultimately gave testimony to SSCI that was consistent with that statement. Each of the foregoing representation in Cohen's two-page statement was false and misleading consideration of the project had extended through approximately June 2016 and included more than three progress reports from Cohen to Trump. Cohen had discussed with Felix Sater his own travel to Russia as part of the project and he had inquired about the possibility of Trump traveling there both with the candidate himself and with senior campaign official Corey Lewandowski. Cohen did recall that he had received a response to the email that was sent to the Russian government spokesman Dmitry Peskov. In particular, that he received an email reply that, and had a follow-up phone conversation with an English-speaking assistant to Peskov in mid-January 2016. Cohen knew that statements in the letter to be a false at the time, and admitted that he had made them in an effort, one, to minimize the links between the project and Trump, who was at this time President, and two, to give false impression that the project had ended before the first vote in the Republican Party primary process in the hopes of limiting the ongoing Russian investigations. Given the nature of the false statements and the fact that he repeated them during an initial interview with this office, we charged Cohen with violating Section 1001. On November 29, 2018, Cohen pleaded guilty pursuant to a plea agreement on a single count information charging him with making false statements in the matter within the jurisdiction of the legislative branch in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 1001A2 and C., The case was transferred to the district judge presiding over the separate prosecution of Cohen pursuant by the Southern District of New York after a referral from our office. On December 7, 2018, this office submitted a letter to the judge recommending that Cohen's cooperation with our investigation be taken into account in sentencing Cohen on both the false statements charge and the offenses in the Southern District prosecution. On December 12, 2018, the judge sentenced Cohen to two months of imprisonment on a false statements count to run concurrently with the 36 month sentence imposed on the other accounts. Yeah. Section 5 is redacted harm to an ongoing matter. The whole section. So, one, two, three, four button presses. Yeah. There you go. Section 6, Jeff Sessions. As set forth in Volume 1, Section 4A6, the investigation established that while a U.S. Senator and a Trump campaign advisor, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions interacted with Russian Ambassador Kislyak during the week of the Republican National Convention in July 2016 and again at the meeting in Sessions' Senate office in September 2016. The investigation also established that Sessions and Kislyak both attended a reception held before candidate Trump's foreign policy speech at the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. in April 2016 and that it is possible that they met briefly at that reception. The office considered whether, in light of these interactions, Sessions committed perjury before or made false statements to Congress in connection with his confirmation as Attorney General. In January 2017, testimony during his confirmation hearing, Sessions stated in response to a question about Trump campaign communications with the Russian government that he had been called a surrogate at a time or two in the campaign and I didn't have, did not have communications with the Russians. In written responses submitted in January 17, 2017, Sessions answered no to an ongoing question asking whether he had been in contact with anyone connected to any part of the russian government about the 2016 election either before or after election day and in march 2017 supplement to his testimony sessions identified two of the campaign period contacts with Ambassador kislyak noted above which had been reported in the media following the 2017 confirmation hearings Sessions stated in the supplemental response that he did not recall any discussions with the Russian ambassador or any other representatives of the Russian government regarding the political campaign on these occasions or any other occasion. Although the investigation established that Sessions interacted with Kislyak on the occasions described above and that Kislyak mentioned the presidential campaign on at least one occasion, the evidence is not sufficient to prove that Sessions gave knowingly false answers to Russia-related questions in light of the wording and context of those questions. With respect to Sessions' statements that he did not recall any discussions with the Russian ambassador regarding the political campaign, he had not been in contact with any Russian official about the 2016 election. The evidence concerning the nature of Sessions' interactions with Kislyak makes it plausible that Sessions did not recall discussing the campaign with Kislyak at the time of his statements. Similarly, while Sessions stated in his 2017 uh, of January oral testimony that he did not have communications with Russians, he did so in response to a question that had linked such communications to an alleged continuing exchange of information between the Trump campaign and Russian government intermediaries. Sessions later explained to the Senate and to the office that he understood the question as narrowly calling for disclosure of interactions with Russians that involved in the exchange of campaign information and distinguished from more routine contacts with Russian nationals. Given the context in which the question was asked, that understanding is plausible. Accordingly, the office concluded that the evidence was insufficient to prove that Sessions was willfully untruthful in his answers and thus insufficient to obtain or sustain a conviction of perjury or false statements. Consistent with the principles of federal prosecution, the office therefore determined not to pursue charges against Sessions and informed his counsel of that uh, decision in March of 2018. 7. Others interviewed during the investigation. The office considered whether during the course of the investigation, other individuals interviewed either omitted material information or provided information determined to be false. Applied the principles of federal prosecution. The office did not seek criminal charges against any individuals other than those listed above. In some instances, that decision was due to to evidentiary hurdles to proven falsity. In others, the office determined that the witness ultimately provided truthful information and that considerations of culpability, deterrence, and resource preservation weighed against prosecution. Redacted Personal Privacy Redacted Personal Privacy Redacted Personal Privacy Redacted Redacted, Grand Jury Redacted Personal Privacy. Redacted Grand Jury. Redacted Personal Privacy. Redacted Personal Privacy. Redacted Grand Jury. Redacted Personal Privacy. Redacted Personal Privacy. Redacted Personal Privacy. This concludes Article 5 of Volume 1 of the Report on the Investigation into Russian Interference in the 2016 presidential election and concludes the entirety of Volume 1 of 2. This has been Pod Bless Robert Mueller, a translation for Texas, brought to you by Pod Bless Texas, featuring Kendall Scudder and Lillian Salerno. We'll begin the report on Russian investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election, Volume 2, in Part 6 of this special series, Pod Bless Robert Mueller, a translation for Texans. Thanks for tuning in, and hopefully, Lillian will be here for Volume 2.